what are you doing? That's a bunch of nonsense. Uh, my wife will tell you that I am a check-the-box kind of guy. You know, the one who makes a, a to-do list, uh, even on my day off, to accomplish certain tasks so that I can then mark them off. And yes, I'm one of those guys, if I do something that is not on the list, I promptly write it down and mark it off. Yes, I know there's a name for that. And once I mark something off the list, it's off the list. For example, I don't watch the same movie or read the same book twice. When it's off the list, it's off the list. Absolutely drives me crazy when we go to rent a movie. Someone in the family says, I mean, this was a great movie. Can we watch it again? No. <laughs> it's off the list. So also in my pastoral responsibilities, especially teaching, I check boxes. I figure I only get to do this, you know, one time, so I, I keep track. Mark books or topics off the list. Matthew, check. Romans, check. When we do Ephesians, Lord willing, next. I'll mark it off. Marriage, check. In the spring of 2002, mark it off. We don't need to talk about marriage again. What do you mean your marriage is struggling? Didn't you listen almost 10 years ago? <laughs> it's off the list. And then, you only have to be in my bedroom last Wednesday evening, you know, the very day that I started preparing the sermon. Tana, my wife, was asking me to do something. I said that I would. She asked, when? You see, she knows that sometimes I'll say I, I will do something to pacify her, and it never seems to make it to my list. I, 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 so, so about the third time that she said, when, uh, I blew up. Uh, threw my Kindle on the bed, said, I'll do it right now if you'll just leave me alone. Stormed out of the room, came back a few minutes later, had done it, reported on it. <laughs> she on her side, me on my side, laid awake till, I'm not making this up, till one in the morning until I finally confessed my sin to God. I, I, I could then sleep. And the first thing I told her Thursday morning, since I had to continue writing this sermon, uh, I'm sorry. I guess I need to put marriage back on my list. A and maybe, maybe you do too. I, I know that there are different people here this morning. I, I know some of you aren't married yet. In fact, we intentionally waited till summer vacations were over so you would be here and, and, and our students would be back. And, and, and you say, but I'm not married. I know. I happen to think that the best time to learn about marriage is before you say, I do. 
Uh, maybe you say, <laughs> like, like Glenn said a few moments ago, Scott, we've been married a long time. We've been through countless marriage books and um, seminars. Uh, we've, we've got a great marriage. It's always on my to-do list. Right, honey? G- good. G- good. And I mean that. Good. Be an encouragement to the rest of us. Uh, do as uh, Glenn suggested and join us for that particular class. Or, or maybe... Just maybe you're here this morning and your experience is more like mine. And you'd say, well, honestly, Scott, I, I, can, I can be pretty much a jerk just like you. Uh, and your marriage needs some attention. Maybe your relationship looks a little bit like the Grace family. See if this doesn't look a little bit familiar. Oh, hey, you're up. I am. Well, how did Aaron do in his play today? You know, I'm sorry I missed it, but I had to finish up some stuff at the office. He was really hoping that you'd be there for him this time. Yeah, you know, I'm sorry I missed it. I I will make it up to him somehow. Right. What are you doing up so late? I couldn't sleep. Something wrong? Are you feeling okay? I don't know. Okay, then. Hey, can I ask you something? Sure. Do you enjoy spending time with your family? Of course I do. Well, you sure don't act like it. What is that supposed to mean? You know exactly what it means. You work all the time, you're never here anymore, and you don't have to work that much. I can't even get you to come home one night early to spend some time with me and the kids. Oh, Lindsay. You know I have a big promotion coming up, and I have to work overtime. Besides, even when I am at home, it's it's like I'm not even here. What is that supposed to mean? Well, when I am home, all the kids are out with their friends, or they're on the computer, and and you, you're out running all over town shopping or running errands, and, and I'm left home alone until bedtime just trying to entertain myself. I have a lot of things I have to take care of. Well, then why do you want me home if you're not even gonna be here? I'm just saying I want you here more for the family, that's all. Well, that's fine, but, but what about what I want? You act like everybody forgets about you. That's not true. It is true. You know, I can't even have a dinner with my wife anymore. We try to have a special night out, and all you could do is talk about the kids. You put everything above me. Do you hear how selfish you sound? You think I sound selfish, Lindsay? Look, I love our children. Really, I do. But for once, could you focus on me instead of them when we have time together? I do focus on you. Where do you get this stuff? Fine, Lindsay. Good night. Robert. Robert! Does that look familiar? I read that after Wednesday night. (laughs) This morning we're going to launch into a series on the family. We need to be reminded of what marriage is all about, what family is all about, what what, what a godly husband, what a godly wife, godly parents, and godly children mean from a biblical perspective. Notice I said 
biblical perspective. I'm not going to spend uh, time over the next few weeks giving you 12 steps to effective parenting, 10 commandments of communication, or how you too can be the husband of a happy wife, or the other way around. You, You can read the books. Rather, what I want us to do is to look at Scripture. You do understand that it is God who created marriage. See, marriage was His idea. Think about that. It was the first institution He created before government, before the nation of Israel, even before the church. In fact, your marriage is to be the model of the relationship between Christ and His bride, the church. So, how how does that model look? Since God is the one who knows how marriage should work, I want us to go, of course, to the owner's manual. I want us to begin at the very beginning, at the creation of the marriage relationship to see the biblical basis for marriage. Turn in your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 2. I'll put it on the screen. You can follow along if you'd like. Genesis 2 verse 18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them and whatever he called uh, whatever the man called a living creature that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field, but for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This morning, very simply, we're going to just look at two quick points. Well, I won't be quick. We're going to see the purposes of marriage, verses 18 and following. We see some principles for marriage in verse 24. I, I guess I could have talked about the joy of marriage in verse 25 if you want to glance back at that, but I'm going to leave that alone. Um, let's begin this morning with the purposes of marriage. Look again with me at verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good. Stop, stop right there. God had just finished His creation in chapter 1. Seven times in chapter 1, after viewing His creation, God said, it is good. In fact, we get to the end of that chapter, verse 31, and it says, um, God saw all that He had made, and behold, it was very good. Get to chapter 2, read more about that sixth day of creation. God created man and woman. Find that He created man first. No, no woman yet, which God caused God to say, it is not good. It is not good for there not to be a woman on the planet. It's not good for the man to be alone. We see, the first purpose of marriage then is companionship, designed by God to meet, if you will, the first problem uh, of humankind, and that was loneliness. Now, think about this with me for just a moment. How long exactly was Adam alone in the garden? 
I mean, I used to see Adam kind of walking around for a few weeks, months, maybe even a few years, just doing his job, taking care of the garden, exercising dominion over the animals. He walks around. He notices something. All of the animals are walking around two by two, and they're being fruitful. That means they're having babies. And Adam was alone, only human on the planet. So one day, maybe weeks, months, years into this thing, when he was feeling particularly lonely, God put him into a deep sleep and gave him a mate too. That's the way I used to think. But, 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 but there's actually a problem with that. It wasn't a few months. wasn't even a few weeks. Folks, it wasn't even a few days. Chapter 1 makes it very clear that God created Adam and Eve on the same day. This is what actually happened. Go with me. Early in the morning, uh, God created the animals. Later, let's say mid-morning, He created Adam, placed him in the garden, and He, he told Adam, I want you to do a couple things for me, Adam. Um, first, He was to rule over the earth. Adam, here's the earth, rule over it, which means when, when you see that bumper sticker uh, that says, uh, the earth was not made for man, but man for the earth, that's, that's not exactly right. Man was the crown of God's creation, and He gave earth to the man to subdue it and rule over it. But that does not mean that we're supposed to abuse the earth. We're supposed to be its stewards. We're supposed to be its caretakers beyond the scope of this message. But I, I could argue from this passage that Christians should lead, Christ, listen to me, Christians should lead in environmentalism. You can just take that. Second thing, Adam uh, is that Adam was, second thing he's supposed to do, he's placed in the garden to keep it. Mid-morning, Adam sets out immediately to subdue the earth, rule over it, starts by naming the animals, all the beasts of the field, birds of the sky, at least the ones that are in the garden. It is significant that God did things the way He did them. He created Adam, and God knew immediately that His creation was not complete. God knew that it was not good for Adam to be alone. It wasn't like this was an experiment, all right? Let's see how Adam fares. It wasn't like he created Adam in a few months or weeks, uh, weeks, months, or years later, go, oops, I forgot something. No, he knew what he was doing. Here's the point he wanted Adam to know. So he had all the animals pass by. Adam named them. Don't know if he named them Rover and Princess or Dog and Cat. I, I, I do know that when he got done, Adam figured something out very important. Contrary to popular opinion, dog is not man's best friend. Neither is cat, but no one's ever been confused about that. Ne <laughs> neither were monkeys, neither were dolphins, nothing. Sometime about mid-afternoon, maybe early evening, that first day, it was clear to Adam, listen, these animals are great, not going to cut it. I am alone. There's no helper suitable for me. So God, having made his point, put Adam to sleep, deep sleep. Beth Moore argues that the text never says that God woke him up. It literally takes a rib out of the side of the woman. Someone has aptly said the bone was taken not from his foot, 
where he would walk on the woman and crush her, nor from his head where she would rule over him, but from his side where they could then serve side by side in mutual concern, love, and care. Adam wakes up. God brings the woman to the man. Remember verse 25. And and so, so, so what does he do? He breaks out into poetry. The first poem ever written was by a man in response to a woman. In fact, I am convinced without women, there would be no need for poetry. (laughs) Who would read it? (laughs) This is an expression of tremendous excitement, joyous astonishment, states the obvious. This is now bone of my bones flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. From that time on, men and women have been inextricably linked for companionship. Uh, other words we could use, fulfillment, completion, fellowship, friendship, intimacy, to prevent loneliness, to complete the task that God had given him to do. Will you please note that it was not good for a man to be alone for one day on this planet. Can you imagine the mess it would be in? Most of you women understand this. Most of us men need to grasp it. I often tell my wife, you know, if I go away on a, on a trip, I can make it for a couple days, maybe a, a few days. Uh, but if she goes from our home and I'm left at home um, doing my normal daily routine, naming animals, whatever it is that I do, <laughs> but by the end of one day, I miss her. One day. That is not a sign of weakness. That is the way God designed it. It is not good for the man to be alone. Which leads to the second purpose of marriage. I'm going to call it effectiveness. Look back at verse 18. It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper. That means we're doing something, a helper suitable for him. And you go, well, there it is. There's that verse that that causes the world of now to, to, to claim that Christianity is anti-woman, it's, it's demeaning to women, and it gives permission for men to be the center of their universes and to be chauvinists. Nothing could be further from the truth. Yes, it is true that woman was created for the man. Paul even states this truth in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, for man did not originate from the woman, but woman from man, for indeed man was not created for woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. That feels good. Woman was created for the man's sake. Why? To be a helper, and I'm going to add the word completer, helper completer, because I think that gets the nuance of the word, a helper completer for him. What does this mean? God created man as the crowning act of his creation to bring him glory by ruling over the earth. And man needed help in the task. So woman was created to help man bring God glory, to effectively fulfill his God-given responsibilities. So she was created totally suitable for him, unlike anything or anyone else. 
suitable spiritually, intellectually, emotionally, physically. He could not do it alone. He needed her. Some of you have been squirming ever since I used that word helper. I think we need to update the language. Chafing, I don't like that. That's archaic. It's outdated. We got to become more progressive in our marriage. Or you may sit there and think, when I get married, that, that is not the way we're going to do it. Okay. Okay. Just take it up with the Creator. He's the one who designed marriage and knows how it will work best. Some of you think that sounds demeaning to be a helper. I want to very gently suggest, and and I know you're going to think, well, that's easy because you're a man, but I want to very gently suggest that if, if this is the way God designed things to be, you will find no greater fulfillment in life than to fulfill your God-given responsibility. And if you think that demeaning, it's demeaning to be called a helper, let me ask you this question, what's worse, to be called a helper or to be the one who needs help? <laughs> the idea is not that of a subordinate It is not that of a glorified servant. It refers to a beneficial relationship where one person aids and supports another as a friend and an ally. You should also know this. The word helper, that exact word is used a few other times in Scripture of God Himself and His relationship toward humankind. Psalm 54 says, Behold, God is our helper. Same word. In other words, ladies, you are in very good company. At the fall, we fell into sin. And there is a sense in which this Genesis 2 ideal became corrupted. In Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, the earth, you know this, was placed under a curse. Serpent was made to Crawl on its belly. Man, the earth was cursed. By the sweat of your brow, you'll make a living, which means work was not part of the curse. It was the toil in, the difficulty in work. And he also said to Adam, uh, Adam, you're going to die. From dust you came, you're going to go back. God also said some things to the woman. The curse placed on her had to do with two things. First, God multiplied her pain in childbirth. This was not intended to be this way. Uh, There's still going to be joy, but there's going to be pain too. You'll have to talk to a mother to know this is true. Second thing had to do with her relationship with her husband. We're no longer talking about the ideal in Genesis 2. We're talking about the curse in chapter 3, the corruption of that ideal. And God says to the woman, your desire, part of the curse, will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. What does this mean? What does this mean? Lots of discussion. Your desire will be for your husband. Some have taught that women are now going to have an insatiable, uh, unhealthy desire for their husbands emotionally, relationally, even sexually. Don't you wish? That's not what it's saying. Without going into all of the Hebrew syntax, what it means is that your desire, what it means is that your desire will be to rule over your husband. 
You were created in the ideal to be the helper completer. Your desire as a part of the curse will be to rule over him. So is it any wonder when unredeemed men and women hear that women were created to be a helper to man, that they go ballistic? Well, yeah. God said they would. Your desire will be to rule over your husband, but, second part, he will rule over you. Some, forgetting this is the curse, have taught that this headship of, of man, um, that the headship of man is part of the curse, that God never intended men to have the responsibility of loving leadership in their home. It's all because of Eve, and we got to pay the price. But they say in a Christian home, we get to return to the pre-fall arrangement where man does not exercise leadership anymore. I want to say very gently, that's not true. God has always been a God of function and order. Man was created first. Woman was created second to complete the man. God's design for a woman was to be that helper completer. The cursed part is this. When God says man will rule over the woman, it speaks of this authoritarian, iron-fisted, non-loving domination. And so some of you ladies go, oh, so when my husband is acting like that, it's part of the curse? Yes. This abuse of power, both male and female, is rampant, has infiltrated the church. Some of you men, listen to me, exercise not loving leadership but dictatorial authority because, well, you think you're the head of your home. That is not what God intended. You're giving in to the curse and you need to stop. Some of you women want to control your husbands, and that is not how God designed it. It's part of the curse. You need to stop. Some of you husbands need to say to your wives, I'm sorry. I will be the husband and father that God designed me to be. I've been too harsh. I've been too weak. I will seek godly, loving leadership. Some of you wives need to say to your husbands, I have been anything but a help. I've been a hindrance. But by God's grace, we will strive together to know what God wants for our relationship. I will become a loving helper completer. And by the way, we're going to talk about husbands. So make sure, ladies, your husbands are here next week. And, and then the week after, we'll talk about wives, what that looks like to be a godly husband, godly wife the week following. Brings us to our, the second thing I want to look at in this passage those are very briefly the um, purposes for marriage, companionship and completion or effectiveness. Let's turn our attention to some principles for marriage, and I'm going to get these in verse 24. Look at that with me again. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Yes, this was written at creation before the fall, before man was plunged into ruin and sin and the curse. But we know that it applies to us for two very important reasons. First, it couldn't just be talking about Adam and Eve because they didn't have any parents to be talking about. And second, both Jesus and Paul appealed to this verse when they did their teaching on the family, I'm in good company. In fact, look over at Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 to 6 with me. Says that, I'll put it on the screen. Some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and said, 
Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become, shall become one flesh. So he applies it. They are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let, man, let no man separate. So, Jesus quotes the passage we're looking at this morning. He combines it with Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, and came up with our first principle of marriage. I'm going to call it exclusivity. Exclusivity. Have a few things to say about this. Genesis 1, 27 says that when God created man, He created them male and female. Matthew 19, male and female, when Jesus quotes it in the Greek, it's in the emphatic. Male and female. From the beginning, God created them male. He created them female. He did that on purpose. The idea is one man for one woman, no options, no spares, no alternatives. I know that this is a hot, a political hot button. As gently as I can say it, the Scripture speaks against homosexuality, and, de- and we did all this talk about the uh, a marriage amendment to define marriage. The Scripture defines marriage as one man to one woman. Contrary to what you might hear, and, and all the sitcoms want you to accept, and uh, everybody in our society wants you to accept, it's not one man to one man, it's not one woman to one woman. This is an abuse of God's originally created design. One man, one woman. And, and by the way, Notice, not one man and two women. Adam and Eve and Sally, just in case Eve doesn't work out. The first principle of marriage is this. One man, one woman, emphatic, no one else allowed in this relationship. Jesus goes on in Matthew 19 to talk about some biblical grounds for divorce. Yes, namely, infidelity. When at unrepentant, ongoing infidelity. God's design was exclusivity in marriage, one man and one woman for life. Now, having a man and a woman uh, living in the same house does not make a biblical marriage. Some of you are living in the same house. And you even have a piece of paper that says you're married. But there is no marriage there. You cohabitate, no relationship. You ignore each other. You might even hate each other. Hey, but you're married. You haven't, yeah, yeah, you haven't got a divorce. But you don't have a biblical marriage. Because there are some other principles, you see, that make man and woman coming together a biblical marriage. Second principle is what I'm going to call dependence. Speaking of the man uh, to the man, it's very interesting. God in Genesis 2 talks to Adam. He's talking to the dude. Guys, listen. Marriage is not your wife's responsibility. Yeah, it is. But it's yours. To the man, he is to leave his father and his mother. 
In the traditional marriage vows, you hear the words, forsaking all others for her alone. That forsaking all others does not just mean other women. It means forsaking father and mother and all other relationships to which you are cleaving. I'm looking to see if I have time. We have six pastors in this church, and I've been um, privileged to be in, in part of all of the interviews, and we've interviewed dozens and dozens and dozens of, of, of people to, to serve as pastor at Alliance. And we have a, uh, an elder, Randy Edwards. Um, every time I've done an interview with him, and I've done dozens and dozens of interviews with him, he will eventually get to this question. He will ask the interviewee, um, who's your best friend? Who, who's your best friend? And if the candidate, if the interviewee answers, well, I had this friend named Charlie. He's been my best friend since high school, da-da-da-da-da. I mean, we're all sitting there in the circle going, mark him off, he's done. Because Randy and the rest of us are looking for one answer, and that is my wife. forsaking mother and father and all of the relationships to which you are cleaving, cutting the apron strings, becoming the husband and father yourself. The bond between husband, listen, the bond between husband and wife can have no rivals. There is a departure from your old family and your old way of life to become committed to your new family, your new wife, and your new way of life. Dependence on father and mother is replaced by a new mutual dependence on one another. Third principle, also found in verse 24, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to, don't miss that, and be joined to his wife. Men, he's talking to you. I find in the 25 years that I've been doing this, if I'm talking with a couple who's experiencing difficulties in their marriage, most of the time if I can just grab the guy by the ears, if I can just get his attention and get him to be committed, things generally, not always, this is a generalization, will generally be okay. Commitment. The word joined or cleaved speaks of clinging to. Um, adhering to, bound to, sticking to. And many of you say, How'd you know? That's exactly how I feel, stuck in my marriage. The idea is that there is an insoluble bond between you. You stick together through thick and, thick and thin. In the, in the marriage vows, we say something like this, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. And you don't cross your fingers when you say that. You're stuck, and joyfully so. Important nuance of this word that is often missed, this being stuck to. Nuance of the word speaks of pursuing hard after, following after, overtaking something. It means to be, write this down, actively and, in inten and intentionally involved in something. Actively and intentionally involved. So God says to Adam, you're stuck to your wife. And I want you to be actively and intentionally involved in the life of your wife. I want you to pursue her. 
It is the man who is to stick to the wife. And that is completely opposite of what we usually experience. In fact, it's completely opposite of what we even hear. We hear something like, arms folded, typically the man is the head of the home. I'm in charge. It's her job to pursue me. In fact, I expect to be the center of my wife's universe. How arrogant. Ungodly and unbiblical. It's not what this verse says. A man is to leave his parents, and he is the one who is to cleave to. That means pursue his wife. Read the verse that way. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be stuck to, bound to his wife, actively pursue, actively involved in the life of his wife. Meaning what? That she becomes the center of your universe? No. There's only one person who belongs in that place. But in the relationship, it is the man's job, it is his responsibility to pursue the relationship, to nurture her, to win her, to love her, to give himself up for her, hmm, just like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, listen to me, cleave to, pursue your wives. It's your job. And so doing the two become one flesh, that's speaking primarily of the sexual union, but there is a sense in which the husband and wife through time become one in purpose, united in thought, in mind, in the power and grace of the Holy Spirit. You become one, indivisible, leads to the last principle, that of permanence. See, Jesus took that verse and applied it this way in Matthew 19. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one. What? Application. What? Therefore, God has joined together. Let no man, let no man separate. Jesus was saying these things in response to the question of the Pharisees. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? Hey, can I dump her? He's going to give an answer to that question. There is a biblical basis for divorce and remarriage, namely, again, unrepentant, ongoing immorality and adultery. This was not, I'm going to talk about that. This was not the original design. What God has joined together, let no one separate, meaning you are stuck, you're stuck, joyfully so, in marriage. It's a good place to be. Some of you need to look at your wife, you need to look at your husband and say, um, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Now, now, now listen, I, it has been my observation, certainly in my own life, that when I say I'm sorry, I usually follow that with the next word is usually what? But. I'm sorry, but. Which means it's not really an apology, but an introduction to an explanation. Let me, let me coach you. This is how you say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've been wrong. Will you forgive me? You may need to say to your spouse, we've gone through a rough patch, and we have even brought up the D word. We, we've even talked about divorce. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? I've been cleaving to someone, to something other than you, but by the grace of God, I'm going to become the husband, I'm going to become the wife 
that God wants me to be. We're going to talk about that in the next two weeks. You need to say, I am thankful. In fact, I am glad to be stuck to you. And I will pursue you. Let's pray.